0: All right. Hi, everybody. My name's Jennifer. I'm an alcoholic and I'm going to set a timer so I can get sober after 20 minutes. Otherwise I'll stay loaded the whole time. I have a sobriety date. It is, um, June 18th, 1996. I have a sponsor. Her name is Duffy. Um, and she has a sponsor and Duffy knows that I'm her sponsee and, uh, her sponsor knows that Duffy's her sponsee. All right sorry guys i'm trying to arrange this there perfect okay you can see me from just like the chin up i have no hands <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's really bad i'm like add i'm like okay let's play with the zoom all right so um the book tells me i'm supposed to describe to you guys in a general way what it was like what happened and what it's like today so um let's go i'm i was you know a really little kid one time in my life um no i'm kidding um I grew up on the mean streets of Coronel Mar, um, very, very tough life, you know, we had a Ferrari in the garage and my mom had a Mercedes and my dad worked 16, 18 hours a day and drank a lot of wine and my mom had really bad migraines and and took a lot of pills. So from the time I was 12 years old on, you know, my parents were raging at each other. and, um, And, and so my rebellious streak in me for whatever reason is, I turned punk rock. And I started going to punk rock shows, 1980, 1981. You know, I'm a punker. You know, there are no punkers in Curled El There are some in Newport and a lot in Huntington and Costa Mesa. You know, all the Persians had just come because um, Iran had gone back. Uh, the Shah of Iran had left. And, and so the Ayatollah came back and so me and my little punk rock friends would have our faces, you know, really white. And we'd have like a little cross drawn right here, you know, our Anarchy A. And we'd go down to PCH and MacArthur and we'd stick our little thumbs out and uh, the Persians would pick us up and they pick us up in their limo and they would like, you want rum and coke and cocaine? And we're like, sure, whatever, we don't care. Um, and they would drive us to the cuckoo's nest, you know? And they were like, you guys want to party? And then when we pull up to the cuckoo's nest, they would like push us out of their limo, you know? Cause it was a pretty scary place. And, um, you know, I was just, it was my place. I found my people. It was loud. It was angry. Um, I was loud. I was angry. You know, I grew up in a house where my dad yelled all the time and my mom cried. And I'm looking at these two beautiful role models and I'm like, who do I want to be like? And I'm like, I'm going to be like my dad. So I became a bully, a threat or an intimidator. And that's just how I live my life. You know, um, I drink alcoholically out of the gates, um, you know, I mean, for me, alcohol and drinking and, you know, the first time I ever did, you know, any drug that was new, um, you know, it was a spiritual experience for me, you know, I found God in that moment, you know, and it took me until I was physically sober for probably five years till I could find God in life moments, you know, without having something inside of my body. Um, I drank and used pretty hardcore for 17 years, you know, I got incarcerated, arrested, detained like 32 times before I turned 18 because I like to drink and I like to wander because I'm looking for the meaning of life, you know, and you all don't have the answer to what's wrong with me. And it's quiet and the fire's going and it's boring. And so I'm going to go look for something more exciting because I'm afraid that I'm missing out on something. So I like to drink late at night. I like to drink in bars you know, I had a fake ID when I was like 16. And you know, when you're 16, you shouldn't be responsible if you're drinking because you lose purses. So I had like, if you go, if I go get a driver's license, I have like five aliases. And I'm like, yep, that was my name. That was my name, you know, because I would get a fake ID and it was Jennifer Lauren Lee and Jennifer Desiree Brandon. And there's a couple I'm like, that's not me. I never use that name, you know, but I I mean, what am I going to do? Um, So yeah, I like to drink, I like to wander, Um, I like loud music, Um, I'm a total train wreck, I stopped going to school at 15, I was a straight A student my whole life because I'm really smart, and uh, I just stopped going to class, and um, my mom and dad were like, well, you can go to cosmetology school in the afternoon, so I was doing like school study, but I never went because the class got canceled, and so I just went to school from like 9 to noon, and I would usually just go and and pull down the attendance sheet on the back of the door and mark myself there or erase the absence check. And, and then I would just go party, you know, and I went and hung out with everybody over at Back Bay High School in Costa Mesa and it was continuation school and because there were punk bands and punk people and, you know, we would party and then we would go find somewhere else to party. And, and that's just all I did. My life was just an entire, like I raged and I had so much fun doing it you know the consequences I never put together that if I hadn't been drunk and wandering around at three in the morning you know at stop and go in Newport you know turned around into like a cop that was like six foot five and like just started laughing at him that I wouldn't have gotten arrested you know it just never occurred to me that you know that was a bad thing you know I'd like to go to parties and then I would wander and You know, we would drive around and I drank and drove. I mean, I think that I was in Hollywood one night when this phone, somebody blew up a phone booth and behind this club. And I was like, wow. And I ran into somebody and they ran into me and we were both so drunk. Neither one of us could figure out whose fault it was. And we're like, that's okay," You know, and I had a convertible rabbit. We took the top down on the way home because I was so drunk. I couldn't like I had to wake up right And cold air. will wake you up. And uh, but that was just kind of what I did. I got my first DUI when I was 16, and you guys have to understand, right? My dad's a bully, or a threatener, an intimidator. When I get drunk and I get in handcuffs, I become an obnoxious lawyer, and and so I can't keep my mouth shut. I probably would have just gotten charged with or my parents would have gotten called for lack of parental control because there were no curfew laws back then and not in Newport. And instead I would just go like, you guys are violating my constitutional rights, my civil rights, you know? And so they would just charge me and they would literally say, just charge the bitch so she'll shut up. Pardon my language, young lady. And, um, and so I, I have all these like minor, like just minor convictions, you know, all these misdemeanor convictions because I just don't know how to keep my mouth shut. So it was the 4th of July, and uh, me and my girlfriends were driving back from Cora Del Mar, back down to Newport So we had to go get money. And I think we had to sneak my girlfriend, one of my friends out. And so I picked her up and we're going back to Newport to rage. And, and I don't know if you, any of you guys have been to Newport on the 4th of July, but it is, it's crazy. And we get pulled over and, you know, we're all like young and cute. And the cops are like taking pictures and they have Polaroid cameras back then. And so we're all posing with them and they're taking our picture and, And they were just going to detain me, you know, for suspicion or for, you know, reckless driving. And then then my mouth starts, you know, and and they charged me with the DUI. And so I spent 4th of July or the 5th of July in Juvenile Hall. And I didn't think it was so bad because they had Diet Coke and they were doing hot dogs and hamburgers to celebrate 4th of July. I think that was the first time I had been like incarcerated overnight. And they kept me there for the weekend. Um, You know, I like to steal alcohol, specifically, Um, you know, um, in Huntington Beach, there was an Alpha Beta supermarket on Brookhurst and um, Hamilton, and they had a wall of shame that was like, the managers used to be at the desk at the front of the store, and they had the wall of shame of people who had been caught stealing, and me and my girlfriend were going to Hollywood, and we needed some Captain Morgan spice rum, so what do we do? We go to our favorite establishment with no money. And we take a couple of bottles of Captain Morgan Spice Rum and and we get arrested. And, you know, apparently Huntington Beach didn't want to take juveniles in at the time because they couldn't keep them and they didn't want to drive them and transport them. Who knows? But they just sight and released us. But they took some Polaroid pictures again. And so I'm up on that wall of shame from like 17 to 23. You know, and I finally, when I was like 23 years old, I went into Alpha Beta because everyone was like, you're on the wall of shame. And I'm like, no, I'm still up there. And I went in and I did, told the manager, I was like, dude, I'm 17. Like you can't have my picture up there. I'm going to sue this supermarket. Cause you know, I'm a lawyer, you know, and, um, but my picture was up there forever. And, um, You know, and I just got into trouble, you know, and I would run away all the time, which I really didn't run away. It wasn't like I planned excursion. I got my backpack and I'm like, I'm leaving. You know, I would just go out. I would get on my bike. I would ride to Newport, cross the ferry, and then just go party. And then I would be so wasted or I'd meet some great friends and we were having fun and I would just forget to go home. And, um, you know, I did that a lot. And before I turned 16, I was just out of control. I mean, my, my brother, I have an older brother and he's like a total yuppie. I mean, he's like this preppy yuppie guy. And we were, it couldn't be more opposite. But he would like chase guys because I would sneak out and I would walk to the end of the street and get in the car with like an older boy. And he would like fly after us in his car and like skid in front of them and like pull them out of the car. Like, do you know who my sister is? And they'd be like, no. And he's like, she's 15. And they'd be like, sorry, dude. And, um, you know, we I would roll my mom's Jaguar out of the garage in neutral and then start it. And then I'd let like my 14 or 15, you know, here, my friend, her name was Kippy, Butt. so if you just imagine, we're like 14 years old, and Kippy wants to drive never driven before. And I'm like, okay, and we pull over and she's driving. And then here comes my brother, you know, and he's gonna save me. And, um, you know, then he went away to college. and, And so all vets were off for me. And, you know, my parents relationship was very, you know, toxic, you know, my mom and dad both had boyfriends and girlfriends on the outside. My mom liked to date younger men, preferably men I dated, you know? um, (laughs) Yeah. And she had like, my, my mom was hot. Like she was younger than I am right now. And she had a lot of money and she drove a really cool 450 SL Mercedes, you know? um, And she would be like, let's go shopping and here's money. And what do you need? And you know, what like punk rock guy from Huntington Beach doesn't want a sugar mama. (laughs) And um, yeah, I know it's sad, but, you know, so I was competed with my mom for friends and for for relationships. So, you know, I have trust issues, I guess would be like to sum it all up. I have some serious trust issues. And then at the good old age of 18 or 17, my parents moved me out and they put me up in a, an apartment on PCH and um, 7th Street in Huntington Beach. So those white condos right on the beach, like for the summer. And I'm living with my uncle and he was a little overweight and he would pay me five bucks a pound. And, you know, I swear to God, he had son of a bitch lost like 70 pounds over that summer because I was like, no, you can't eat that because it was five dollars a pound. And, and that's how I like survived. And I partied my you know what off and and I met a boy and and that boy, uh, you know, uh, that boy wasn't really employed um, legally. Um, and so we became pharmaceutical sales reps for some Colombians and um, <laughs> and I did that off and on for, you know, 10 years, um, really successfully in the beginning. Um, I had a great time, you know, I had a bodyguard cause I was like, you know, obviously an alcoholic drunk train wreck. And so they had someone that would babysit me because if I drank too much, you know, then I, I would lose things and forget things. So they hired a bodyguard <laughs> and, and he was like a black belt in karate and he never wore shoes and, and people would go, why don't you have any shoes on? And he'd be like, um, and he goes, "Are you sure you want to ask that question?" And he's dead serious. And he's a little guy; like you would never think when you looked at him. And he goes, "Are you sure you want to know the answer to that question?" And people are like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And he would just he would just round kick him and drop him to the ground. And he'd be like, "They're not going to ask that question anymore." And I'm like, "Okay, great." And we'd show up, and and people had just finally started like freebasing cocaine, and and you know so um you know I'm you know guys thought girls would do lots of girls would do stuff for that and um I would show up and they were like hey will she move for this and they just he'd just shake his head and go oh man you know you're gonna regret that and I would just like open up my jacket and pull out like you know a couple of gills of coke and be like what and um I got arrested and then um under an alias of course because I had a fake id Jennifer Desiree Brandon is a is a convicted Drug trafficker. (laughs) They know it's me. Um, and and then two weeks later I got arrested again. And I got arrested with a thousand grams. And then two weeks later I got arrested with another thousand grams. And and um one was under an alias, so they didn't know, they didn't put the cases together until my mom decided to let them know that. Um, because I interfered with, you know, a relationship she was having with somebody. And I I put a stop to it. And um, so my mom kind of threw me under the bus and and you know, kind of got medieval, so to speak, um, with regards to our relationship. And, you know, that was kind of the downward spiral for me. Um, you know, my boyfriend was locked up, he didn't get out, I did. Um, I had a Jaguar, like XJ6, I had an Austin Healy, I had a lot of cash and I had nowhere to live. And um, and I met these girls, Becky and Debbie Parker. And, and I moved into the Parker's house and, you know, their mom didn't even bat an eye. And it was me and, and cousin Rhonda and Becky and Debbie and, and Betty was their mom. And she didn't even like, you know, who are you? Nothing like that. You want some food? And, you know, sure. Yeah. How long are you going to stay? No problem. Whatever you need. And, you know, I, I partied and, and got into all kinds of trouble again. I got my next DUI. I was 19. I was sitting in I was in my, uh, my Austin Healey and I was on the 55 freeway. And I was sitting on two bottles of schnapps, empty schnapps because I couldn't see over the dashboard because they're really long dashboards on the front. Of, I mean, really long um, hoods on those cars. And I just needed to be a little bit taller so I could see. And I fell out of the car and, and just laughed. And, you know, I'm good when I'm, you know, when I surrender to things I, I actually really do a good job surrendering. And I was like, I'm guilty, you know? And, um, and uh, he took me to Orange County Jail because it was a high patrolman and I can slip cuffs. And they left the door open and, you know, I I got out of the car and I'm like dead at the end of the line. All the guys that are handcuffed together, I'm like talking to some cute guys and they come back and they're like, where'd you go? Where'd you go? And I'm like, I'm already here, you know. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they didn't love me for that, um, you know, but I got out on that DUI. My girlfriend, I had no money. I think I had five dollars. That's not true. She brought me Jack and Diet Coke and, um, I had cheeseburger from like Jack in the box. We went to the liquor store so I could get cigarettes and I bought a lottery ticket and I won $50. And so, you know, what are we going to, what's a girl do with $50? We go down to Huntington beach. There was this uh, metal radio station called canny Sea, and it was like a strip club on the beach. Okay. And (laughs) we go to canny Sea beach on the South side of Huntington beach pier. And we rage all day. And, um, You know, that was my experience with the DUI. And I was 19 and my first DUI didn't count. You know, when I went to court, um, there was a lawyer in there and he got this guy um, off of a trafficking charge um, because he wasn't Randized in English. You know, he was Randized in English, not Spanish. And I I chased him out of that courtroom and I was like, I need a really good lawyer. I got a lot of problems right now. And, and I found a lawyer named Roger Egejanian. He was a phenomenal lawyer. Um, I worked for him. He had a couple of Bobcats, you know, somebody had given him his payment. I would feed them chicken and chicken and brown rice. I worked in the law office right around the corner from Santa Ana court. And he represented me on all of my cases. And, um, you know, had I, been able to show up for court because the progression of my disease had gotten so severe that, you know, I was incapable of showing up on time for court, you know, and I would call like, hey, I slept, I overslept, you know, sorry. And they go, Oh, well, just come in. Well, don't ever believe the bailiff because they took me into custody when I came in. And you know, that honestly, that probably saved my life because I was on such a bad March at that time. My alcoholism had progressed so far. You know, I was like, my, my stomach was like distended, you know, I had a kidney infection. So I was always bright red, you know, and I was very sensitive in my kidney. So if you touch my back, I would like wince in pain. Um, and I was, you know, I got 30 days in jail, and I got out of jail on, on Christmas Day, and instead of going to my parents' house to celebrate Christmas, um, you know, I had this girl, Wendy, pick me up, who's still my best friend, by the way. I mean, she came to court with my mom, because they met when they were working at Bullock's and for Christmas help, because my mom wanted a discount, and she came to court with my mom, and I'm in my little, it's a blue jumpsuit, not orange, um, and I'm like, you know, hi, nice to meet you, because I was raised, right, and um. You know, I had my mom send her to pick me up. And then we went to go see my, my, my Colombian friends. And we hung out for a couple of days. And, and then I came home and um, I was on formal probation and my probation officer. And I, I mean, I'll pause and I'll tell you this lovely story about this guy. His name was Bill and Bill Martin. I'd been on probation just so you know, from 13 to 34, I had like two years off and that was it. I had been on continuous probation from 13 to 34 And um, Bill Martin had like Coke bottle glasses. They were so thick that when you looked at him, he had really blue eyes and his eyes looked like this big. And he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, you know, looking at those eyes and you want to be truthful with those eyes because they are just giant blue eyes. And, you know, he believes me and, you know, no one had looked at me and like, are you okay? And like literally meant it. And I was like, no, I'm a mess. I'm going to test dirty. I don't know what to do. And he goes, one chance. And he goes, and if you do it again, he goes, I'm going to lock you up. And I had like a three and a half year joint suspended. So I just stopped doing everything except for alcohol. And um, I'm good if I just drink, right? I can roll, um, I, can, I can get a job. I mean, I, so I got a job at, and I worked at Neiman Marcus in Fashion Island. Perfect job. You work, you know, nine to five, nine to six. On Sundays, it's 12, you know, I think 12 to five, but you gotta be there 11. And, you know, i think now and 11 a.m. was such a struggle in my 20s to get to work at Neiman's for a Sunday shift. And um, I would throw up and I love, I get so violently hung over that, you know, I I'd throw up for like two days, three days. Neiman Marcus, I love cold tile floors and bathrooms because I can no longer get up and down. So I just lay on the floor and Neiman's has really nice marble bathrooms. And I would be laying in there on like a Sunday, just like th- in between throwing up, you know, I knew I had like 45 minutes to pull it together. And you know, and I did that for two years and, and, you know, another boy in the mix and we broke up and it was bad. And, you know, I moved to Hollywood, which any good girls should do at off probation. So I'm gone. So I go to Hollywood. My best friends are there. And, you know, I have this girl, Carol, and we've been friends forever. And we like the same music. We don't like the same guys. And we love to go dancing. And so we're literally going out every single night. I'm not sober yet. My alarm didn't go. Uh-oh. Okay. We'll get some. You have 10 minutes. I thought it was 40 minutes. Oh, awesome. Okay. I've done 20. Okay. Cause my timer just went off. So, um, she's like, you want to get high? You want to get high? You want to get high? And I was like, Nope, 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 nope. And then it was like one night, I don't know. I looked out, there was a full moon and I could see like the Northern star. And I was like, sure. And I'm like, Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde, as soon as I put anything outside of alcohol in my body, like I become, I just go right back to finding the Colombians. And it was a Mexican cartel this time. (laughs) And um, I didn't miss a beat. I went to work for him again um, and, and I started doing that. And then that's what I did. Like the last five years, my death march into Alcoholics Anonymous, lots of trials, lots of tribulations. The last time I got arrested was April 30th of 1996 I got arrested with like I don't know seven ounces which was a little bit for me but um you know a lot of cash and um I got released because I hadn't been in trouble for 10 plus years and uh I my mom was like went to Al-Anon like three Al-Anon meetings it was like girl you need to move out I love you but you got to go die somewhere else and um I have really great (laughs) codependent enabling parents and um So, uh, I found that note on the front door and like she'd taken all my stuff and she put it on the patio. And so I did what any, any good alcoholic does. I grab my, I grab a go bag, you know, and I find some cash and I go to her on Babel Island and I'm a terrorist because she has like the rest of my cash. And I get her to give me my money and then I get on the bus and I go to Huntington and I, I go see, you know, my connection and I've got like five cell phones that the police didn't confiscate. Cause I was cloning cell phones illegally for people. And, uh, And, you know, I just went on another roll and I think I lasted six more weeks because I don't do good. Like I'm a princess from Colonel Mar, I don't do good having to like stay on someone's couch, be nice to somebody, be cordial, like not tell them how I really feel. Because at this point in my alcoholism, I can no longer ingest enough alcohol or anything else to keep the hatred down. Right. So it's always right here. And I think that I hate the world and I think that I hate everyone and everything, but genuinely when I look in the mirror, I hate myself. I hate myself because this is what my life has come to. I wasn't supposed to end up like this. This wasn't supposed to be my life. How could I not like pull it together long enough to like look and see or just become the person that I believe God wanted me to be, you know? And instead I become this horrific like tornado that has just ripped through everyone's lives. And I could no longer like keep that hatred inside. And so I'm just an unpleasant person, you know, and I weighed like, I don't know, 80, like 97 pounds. And I don't do well skinny, you know, and I meet my latest convict boyfriend, of course, cause I love the bad boys. And we, his idea of like a place for us to stay, is a, it's a boat. Well, okay. Right here. Now here's the girl from Corona Mar. Like I'm going to make my ego stepping in. It was a 40, it was 47 feet. So technically it's a yacht. It was for sale next to a liquor store on seven to PCH in Huntington beach, right across from those condos I lived in 12 years earlier. And we're not the only people sleeping on this boat. So I wake up at six o'clock in the morning to a smell that like, no one should have to smell right? It's a porta potty smell. And I'm like, and I'm sick because I need to get well. And I have no money. And I look at this guy. And I mean, this is where he's taken me can't even scrum up enough money to put me in a bad hotel or motel, you know, and we're on a boat that's for sale next to a liquor store. And we're not the only ones on there. And I walked over to the payphone at Pasha liquor store. It's no longer there. Um, And I called my mom and I said, I need help. And, um, you know, probably the five easiest, you know, I need help three easiest words in the, you know, for most people to say the hardest words in the world for me to say, you know, I can't do this anymore. I need help. And she was like, well, I need to go to work. So it's going to be a while before I can pick you up. And So I go, okay, I'll be at the bus stop in front of those apartments I used to live in. So she picks me up and I mean thank God I can remember I have on white Levi's white Doc Martens, a plaid flannel and a striped beanie and I have a backpack and a duffel bag and my mom pulls up in her Mercedes and she goes you look like a homeless person and I'm like well I kind of (laughs) am I mean as homeless as I'll ever get right and and I was homeless you know and um we went to Babau Island. She parked her car. She went to work. I went to sleep in the car in front of somebody's luxuriously nice, you know, million dollar house. And I'm, I'm asleep, you know, dripping wet 97 pounds and like boxers and a, and a wife beater. And, um, and I woke up and I went and I hit her up for five bucks for coffee and donuts. Cause that's what everybody needs when they get sober or they make the decision to get sober. And, um, her friend, her old manager had was on the board of directors at new directions for women. And I started calling new directions every day for two weeks, got a call by 9am every day for two weeks. And that was a struggle for me. That was a tough thing to do. you know, cause I'm not a morning person. I still struggle with mornings. You know, I'm just going to sleep at 9am and they want me to be calling them and saying, Hey, do you guys have a bed? And, um, my parents don't have any money anymore. My dad's gone. Um, and I have no insurance, no money. And, um, after two weeks, they said, yes, you can come in. Um, but I went on one last, one last run, you know, I got, a, I, I picked up the mail, no excuse, just telling you context. I picked up mail. It was a Sunday. It was father's day. So it was June 15th. My sobriety date's June 18th. So you know that that's how I party. <laughs> I left on the 15th and, and I got sober on the 18th. Um, yeah. And, um, uh, the court had filed a case against me and because of my prior convictions from that arrest I had in April, because of my prior convictions in the state of California, there's minimum mandatory sentencing law. So this letter said, you know, we want to inform you that your prior offenses carry a minimum mandatory sentence of three and a half years each. And I have two convictions for for sales and, and I guess they amended the law. So I'm like a smuggler. I didn't plead guilty to that. Um, and I wasn't guilty of that. And. Um, and, um, and so I was like seven years I was facing, I went on a run, right. I had a party that had a great time called. They were like, we have a bed for you. And I'm like, what? And I go, okay. And I, I don't have my purse. And I don't know about you guys. Well, girls will know when you're getting sober, you need your stuff. Cause that's like all you have. All I have is this little purse and I left it in um, garden Grove. And so, um, they said, well, maybe tomorrow. Cause you had to be there by 12. And I got there at like 12.03. So I called again the next day and they said, "Um, okay, but you gotta be here by 12. My dad picked me up and took me and he's never on time for anything. And he was on time. He had a 12 pack of Diet Coke for me, caffeine free, because you can have me sugar, caffeine there. And a carton of cigarettes. And he dropped me, I pushed me out of the car, like, have a good time. I'll see you in like 90 days. And um, after five glorious days at New Directions, um, I walked out. And the therapist there, her name's Freed. Um, I share this at every AA meeting I've spoken out for the last 20 plus years, um, I actually got to speak to her two Octobers ago. Um, uh, finally, somebody knew her. Um, and she told me as I was walking out the door with my, you know, duffel bag in my backpack, you know, you're gonna go get drunk, and you're gonna go get high. And I was like, I'll show you lady. And you know, just my pride, my ego, just despite her I stayed continue, I've i stayed continuously sober since the first day that I came into Alcoholics Anonymous on June 18th of 1996. And I did not get drunk or loaded when I walked out of there. I walked four and a half miles over to my mom's condo. I conjured into like, I'm going to go into a sober living. And you know she goes, I'll give you three days. And I had three days I went into a sober living. And, and I've been sober ever since. And I haven't done anything right. I have done everything you could possibly do wrong in Alcoholics Anonymous except for pick up a drink right? Doesn't matter what my circumstances are. My sobriety isn't dependent upon my life circumstances. I can be broke. I can be happy. I can be in love. My sobriety doesn't depend on what's going on around me. My sobriety is separate from what's going on in my life. Okay. And I I don't know how or why that worked. I just know that when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I heard people laughing and I found hope and I had been so hopeless for so long that I was just dying Inside and I came into a room full of people at the 530 fish out of water meeting in Newport and that's the meeting I got sober in I went to that meeting every single day for I think five years and then I went to UCLA. And then when I came back, I went every single day again until I was 16 years sober. You know, that's where I got sober. I got, I got loaded with half the people in that room, you know, and now it's their kids because <laughs> there's a lot of younger people, you know, cause I'm old now, but, um, I got high with their parents. Like, yeah, hey, you used to get loaded with your dad, you know? And he's like, yeah, yeah. He's told me about you, you know, and, and, um, <laughs> Like, Oh, it can't be good. It can't be good. Cause I'm always crazy. You know, it's bad when you're the crazy girl that people kick out. And I'm like, I never thought I was crazy. Right. Everybody used to always say I was crazy and I never thought I was crazy. And then finally, when I kind of was crazy, people stopped saying I was crazy. And then I was like, I know I'm crazy. now. I'm freaking crazy now. I'm legit crazy now. I was just wild out of control, fearless, you know, and I was totally fearful. So I'm sober and I got this lovely court case. Yeah, thank you. And um, so I'm going to court every other week for the first year I'm sober. And I don't know about you guys, but going to Santa Ana court is a pain in the you know what. Okay, and I gotta go there every other week. You know, I started in um, Huntington and Muni court and they offered me like, I think 90 days in treatment. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna go to the box cause I won't get found guilty. And I get to superior court. And then the first offer they give me in superior court is 10 years. And I'm like, Oh crap, I should have taken that 90 days of treatment. But you know, I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to be sober. Right. My first day in court, I had a toothache and then um, my back was out and my mom picks me up because she's a good codependent. Mom takes me to court. And she's like, after court, she goes, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to the chiropractor or do you want to go to the dentist? And I'm like, you know, because vanity is a great thing, you know, and I had to I just had him pull the tooth because I didn't have money and you know, I have like 22 teeth, which is not very many teeth. <laughs> I started out with a lot. And um, uh, so I'm sober and I'm going to court and I'm there every other week and I get a job and then, you know, I don't like the manager and I just go get my nails done for lunch and I don't come back, you know, cause I haven't been really taught how to be a responsible productive member of society. I have a lot of sponsors that I do one, two, and three with, cause you know, that's okay. They want to take me to coffee, take me to a meeting. Let's get the book out. Let's work one, two, and three. I'm like a rock star at one, two, and three, but I'm not going to do a four step with anyone. And I'm at the Newport club and there's a speaker meeting on Thursday night and it's the old Ebel speaker meeting. And there's this tiny petite demure brunette and she has big blue eyes. And maybe it's the big blue eyes. It reminds me of Bill Martin. She's got big blue eyes and she's ladylike and she's petite and she's demure and she talks like this and she's just got this. But the stuff that came out of her mouth, her story, I mean, you know, it's right at the Newport Club's right across the street from the fire station. And then in the middle of her pitch, the ambulances go off and she just stops and she goes, oh, Don't you just love it when they save you? And I was like, What? You? She goes, yeah, my idea, good time was to, you know, drink a gallon of vodka and take a couple of Thorazine and see what hospital I went and what it come out of what orifice. And I was like, no way, because she doesn't look like her story. And that woman inspired me and I asked her to be my sponsor. And I did a fourth and a fifth step with her um, two weeks after that. So I'm a year and a half sober. Um, and I do a fourth and a fifth step with her. Well, I'll backtrack. The court case, 11 months sober. I get in front of a different judge we we have a bench trial which i didn't had never even heard of where the judge like we have an expert witness they have an expert witness My expert, our expert witness can't testify because I had cash on me that I had gotten from, you know, a possession of a firearm and I'm a convicted felon. So he didn't feel comfortable testifying. So we just grilled this guy and, you know, he sent him like 300 questions to ask. And a lot of it was about alcoholism and addiction. And did you ask her, did you notice, you know, is this a recurring problem in your hood? You know, all kinds of things. It wasn't good. The judge wasn't happy you know but every time i get arrested and if you're new and you're out there you know um i always say i'm not guilty it's personal use (laughs) and I want a lawyer and um that was all this judge that we got in front of this new judge we got in front of that's all he needed to hear and he said where is that and then he said 10 minute recess he went he actually read the police report because you know judges never read police reports and he actually read the police report I think he wanted to let me off he found me guilty of just possession and he sent me on my happy way with probation so I have a new probation officer I'm you know, I'm almost a year sober and, you know, she wants me to go to treatment. I'm like, well, okay. I said, I was willing to do anything. I'll go to treatment. And, um, and then I called, you know, I told my lawyer, cause you know, my public defender, sorry. And, um, I'm like, they want me to go to treatment. I don't want to do a year long. Pro-. And then the clerk, he calls the clerk and the clerk calls probation. Probation doesn't like me. The first time I met her, she handcuffed me at my mom's house. Um, cause I had, called someone, uh, uh, I called a police officer a prick, you know, um, on the phone. And um, so she did not like me. And then the judge, the court clerk calls to her and says, like, she doesn't need to go to rehab. You can do whatever you want. We just think she's doing really good. And we wanna keep her on that that good track. And so maybe she can go see a therapist or something like that, you know? Cause the judge had me come back to court every month for like six months. And um, I had no idea. Cause he told me that last day, when he found me guilty of the lesser charge, he said, you know, I want you to come back every month because I believe in you and I see a change in you. And I've seen a change in you in the last three months. And he goes, then I want you to come back and check in with me every month. He goes, you know, you keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. And, um, and I don't think that anybody had ever said to me in my entire life that they believed in me, at least not that I had heard. And you know, what he said really resonated with me. So, um, a year and a half sober. I work a fourth and a fifth. I got a sponsor who speaks. She sponsors a ton of women. She's super active in the book. And I learned everything, everything about everything from this woman. And she was an amazing human being. I love her to death. Her name was Lisa Rayburn. And I could quote the book inside and out. I know what page things are on. I understand alcoholism. I understand Alcoholics Anonymous. I understand the traditions. (laughs) I understand the fellowship, I understand unity, I understand service, and I understand what all of that means, right? I'm just one person, and I'm a, just one, one among many in Alcoholics Anonymous, and that the greater good of the Alcoholics Anonymous must prevail. That my personality should never be too great, that I impact or affect Alcoholics Anonymous in a negative way. Because Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> needs to survive for the people like me when I came into this room that were desperate and hopeless, And that's the only thing that I ever want to do here is carry a message of love and hope from Alcoholics Anonymous. Everybody's story is different, but we all suffer from the same thing. I'm bodily and mentally different than my fellows. When I drink the first drink or the first sip of alcohol, I, I, I cannot control what happens to me next. And I drink because I essentially like the effect produced. That's it. I want the outcome that I know that I'm going to get when I put something in my body. And the faster that outcome can come, the better off it is for me. And it doesn't matter if I drink it, I shoot it, I snort it, or I smoke it. Whatever changes the way I feel right here, right now is what I want. And I can do that in sobriety with shopping, with, you know, Google searches and go down the three hour rabbit hole. You're like, (laughs) what was I looking for? You know? I can do that dating i can do that with money i can save 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 and then i can spend like i i'm a crack whore you know and yes. and i've done all these things in sobriety you know and um but what i do know is that i can be accountable and responsible and a productive member and um i go to probation she sends me to a therapist that therapist has 15 years sober and she has a uh, Australian accent. So everything sounds better with an Australian accent, right? Even if she's telling me how horrible I am or like, you really said that? It just sounds lovely with an Australian accent and I can hear it. And she was a safe, confident person, confidant for me. And I could share everything that I never shared. I mean, legally, she's bound to not repeat it. <laughs> and, you know, because we formed a relationship and a connection and a bond. And she was positive and encouraging and kind and loving. And... Um, you know, was just kind of the foundation I needed to really like go out and do it. I started going to school because, you know, I gotcha. Only thing to do in Orange County, at least in Newport in the 90s, was be a stripper or a real estate agent. OK, and I'm I'm ai am a shitty stripper. I'll tell you that right now. So um, and I don't want to sell real estate. So I started going to school and I had a, 0.0, a 0.1 GPA, which means that I had failed enough classes to have like a, a 0.1, but I gotten like one D and I go to OCC. Well, because, yeah, my parents would pay my rent if I enrolled in school and I would enroll in school, set, show me enrollment, and then I would just go off and running and, you know, go long enough to hear like the cool panels and human sexuality and then just forget to drop out. <laughs> So I go to OCC, it takes me four arduously long years to get an AA degree. And I'm on fire with school, okay? So there was a guy in AA named Rags. He told me everything and anything to do in school. So I literally just, i like, okay, I'm a good AA. I will follow you. I will parrot what you do. So I was on like the finance committee and I was on the speech and debate team. And, and I was just like this freak in school, front row, hand up, you know? and um, <laughs> And then I go to on transfer day, and I meet this lady from Berkeley, and she's like a cool hippie lady. But you know, she goes, "I bet you got a good letter to write." And I was like, "Oh!" So I didn't think about like writing a letter because you write an admission letter, right? So I write this crazy letter, and it says like it's 1996. I'm homeless. I'm 30 years old. I'm homeless, desperate, and dying. And then that was the opening to my letter that I wrote to get into college. And I got into UCLA. I got into Berkeley. I mean, I got into every school that I applied. And I, I chose UCLA because the, the dean of my department, I have a degree in poli sci and, and history, US history and, and US politics. And the dean was like a mad scientist. And, and he was like three hours late for our meeting. And I just like, I need to go to school with this guy because he was just a genius and kept coming out. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, you know, and he tells me, I think you'd be great in the school. You offer diversity. One second so i'll finish with this so i go to ucla i graduate in 22 months with a double major and um, you know i was it was a disaster right i sat in the back row like my last quarter at ucla i mean like the second i could never make it all the way to the back and um and i would like not ask questions not do anything i just wanted to be done you know i sold out for corporate cash i was going to go to law school. And um, I'm seven years sober and the day that I walk on my commencement, just so you understand, like God has a perfect plan for all of us. Okay. If we don't waver from the plan, if we don't change what we're doing, if we stay sober and we keep putting one foot in front of the other, cause you know, life happens no matter what, if we keep on the path and we keep our head down and we keep God in our heart, he's got a beautiful plan. So who would have thought that day that I went out on the 15th of June, that I would have gotten sober on the 18th of June. And that seven years later, I would be seven years sober. It would be Father's Day, it would be June 18th. And that was the day that I walked at UCLA. And that was my commencement ceremony at UCLA. That's the power of my God. And if I had written a list of the things that I wanted in sobriety, I would have sold myself totally short. You know, that's the God I have in my life. He only wants beautiful, amazing things to happen to me as long as I don't give up and I just keep trudging. And right, and you hear the word trudging in a vision for you. And um, I was taught by Lisa, trudge means to walk with purpose. And until I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, my life had no purpose and no meaning. And I've been trudging on this road of happy destiny for 25 years because Alcoholics Anonymous has gave me purpose. And I'm eternally grateful for that. And thank you for letting me share.